I was just on Facebook and the first thing I saw was Michael K. Williams. Oh my God, no. I saw it on Twitter. Like that was the first thing. And I was just like, I froze. <laughs> right. Roxy is clearly distraught. Uh, really? I mean, I was I was in I, I, I just said, oh no. And I went to I immediately went to Google and I, you know, typed in his name and then because I I mean, when you see a post like that, you already know what's coming. You already know what it's going to be. So I looked it up and then boom, there it was. And it just said, Michael K. Williams found dead at 54. And I'm just like, it's still, I'm still having trouble processing it because, you know. Roxy, too. Roxy agrees. Yeah. Um, for those of you that don't know, um, Roxy is Lamel's lovely dog who we might have guest starring in today's episode. She can't get it together. Um, but yeah, that was, I'm just, it's really weird because, you know, last year I'd watched The Wire for the first time. So I really got familiar with him through that and his character of, you know, Omar. And then we also got Lovecraft Country that same year. And that was phenomenal. And then, I mean, 54 is so young. Yeah, it is. 54 is so young. Um, oh. Roxy, she's howling. She's upset. She can't. So yeah, I'm just, I'm really, I'm really having trouble processing it. Cause now, you know, all the, um, the condolences and the, the, um, the reactions have started to pour in from, you know, um, like the celebrity friends and, um, it's, I, mm. yeah, even Marcel made one cause they had just seen each other like a week or so ago. HBO made a statement on Twitter. We are devastated to learn of the passing of Michael Kenneth Williams, an HBO family member Mm -hmm. for more than 20 years. Mm -hmm. While the world knew of his immense talents, we knew Michael as a dear friend. We send our deepest condolences to his family for the immeasurable loss. Yeah. Immeasurable, insurmountable. It just, it's, uh, I, mm, I just, this was not something I expected to see today like it just it, out of nowhere um but one of the things i really adore about um michael was the fact that he's he's from brooklyn um but he like he's he stayed in brooklyn like he was still there he he lived in um a, a loft over there but he was really in williamsburg yeah yeah um and like could probably be seen you know like on the daily there was um like there was a video that came out um I think it was last year where he was like uh they were having like um there was like they were doing like house music in the park and um before he was a movie and television star he was um i think he was like a a, a house head <laughs> um really big in that community and it was just him like in the park dancing um with fellow house people and it's just like it's very heartwarming to see like even though he reached the status of celebrity he 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 didn't abandon his community or he didn't act like he was you know above it he was still very um on the ground with that like i found an article um where it's saying that all this um like 
charitable work he had done, um, how he founded the nonprofit uh, Making Kids Win, which I think that is, um, I really love when they do like nifty things with names because Making Kids Win, those are also his initials. So I just thought that was a nice little thing, but um, it provides, you know, opportunities to teens who are at risk of getting involved in gun violence. And I just love how he's a person who comes from that and was able to avoid it. And now he's trying to give back and make a way for other kids who may be in his, be in the shoes that he was in to um, find better pathways to better lives. I just, I really just, I really love when people of the community, they reach these, like they reach these heights, but they've reached back to lift their community up just all the same. And he was definitely one of those people. Um, I really feel um, for the, for his community, for his family, for his friends, um, for, you know, all the coworkers, everybody who knew him, but really, and really all the children that um, he was able to touch and uplift um, and really show like, there's more to, like give give people think give kids things to look forward to like if if michael can do it or if mike can do it um i can you know all right be like mike <laughs> i don't know i just it just i don't know it's just it really just warms my heart how he was really for the community like he was really an activist and he was really about you know using art as activism um i mean but it's like i i hear you and i feel that and all of that is valid and true. And also, this is just sad, right? Yeah. Like, not for his accomplishments, not for his acting. And I get that the only reason that we know him is because of all of these phenomenal roles that he is that he has played. But I think that, like we said, like you said already, he was only 54 years old. 54. And they think that it was an overdose, which is even more terrible because he's been very open with his addiction and mm -hmm. the, the struggles that he's had throughout his life. But I can't help but to, but to, you know, we all loved him in some way, shape, form or fashion, which is why there's this like collective community of hurt. And it also makes me sad to know that like, imagine if he had done nothing after the wire, like he had just done the wire and then didn't do that show on Vice and wasn't prominent in acting anymore or whatever. And he had died the same way. You know what I mean? So it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that he was successful and had an amazing career and started the foundation and helped all these people and, and helped his community to thrive. But I'm also just sad at all of it. <laughs> and I'm sad at all of the other like multiverse situations that could have ended a lot differently and a lot less poetic than maybe this. Cause yeah, any way you put it, it's still like a loss of life. And it's all, it's all just sad. Uh, yeah. So again, uh, my sincerest condolences to um, the family and friends of uh, Michael Kenneth Williams. And thank you so much for um, the work that you've done and the art that you've given us um rest in peace
Happy Move on from yeah. this so- somber moment. Happy Labor Day. <laughs> Happy Labor Day. <laughs> uh, what have What have you done uh, for the? the for, oh, you were at the beach. I was at the beach. You were at I the beach. Sunburn to prove it. It's so nice. Did you wear like sunscreen and all that stuff? I had so many bottles of sunscreen. Did you use them? I used them all. Okay, good, good. <laughs> Free radicals. Gotta watch out. Um, <laughs> I I did not go to the beach. Um, I I really didn't even go anywhere. You know what I did? I napped. Oh, that's amazing. I haven't taken a nap in such a long time. It, it just my heart, my soul. It just it 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 weighs, it weighs heavily I feel on like it. This has been so somber. <laughs> it really has been. Um, where where is the Necronomicon? Where where right, is she? Please, please come. Okay, come I'm, I'm I'm taking it off the shelf. I'm opening it up. Um. Lord have mercy. Um, oh well, in in like in like fantasy news, and when I say fantasy, I mean you know this is just stuff you daydream about, or like you can fantasize that you were there just to make you think of happier moments. But um, the Venice Film Festival happened, or is currently happening. I think it ends on you yeah. said the eleventh, mm-hmm. so it started um, I think late or mid last week, and. You know, all the girls are there, all the stars, but uh, the Venice Film Festival, um, and especially in like the time of Corona, um, is really like a big return to form for a lot of the major film festivals. Um, And it's already a lot of the films that have premiered there are receiving a lot of buzz, like um, a lot of a lot of Oscar buzz. Um, uh, Dune. Um, last night in Soho, which we've talked about before, we really mm-hmm. want to see. Um, and then one we haven't talked about before because it's not really our genre, but I'm interested. Um, it's called Spencer, and that one um, is about it's um, a piece on Princess Diana, I think during the holidays, and it has um, Kristen Stewart playing um, Diana. Now, I've seen set photos from that they look. I mean, it looks good. And she looks so pretty. Like, she really does look like Diana. I, I, and I, I, I want to say something here um, that might get me a few side eyes or might be considered controversial. But Kristen Stewart, I've, I've always been for Kristen Stewart. I, I never, I never got the, you're giving me this look. I'll, let me explain. I never got the 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 like vicious criticisms of her acting like because um, with Twilight now, now okay confession time um, I was Twihard um, I am since reformed um, not unsent reformed <laughs> I I am that no longer but um, back in you know 2008 and all that. Um, I was I was really big with the Twilight series. Um, I I was Team Jacob. Um, I really did want, you know, I really Jacob was I was a big fan of Jacob. But Kristen Stewart as Bella 
what a lot of people need to understand um, is even though they rag on the Twilight series um, and no one rags on it more than Robert Pattinson, <laughs> which I think is hilarious. But um, what people need to understand is with the character of Bella Swan, Kristen Stewart played her to a T. And people like to critique Kristen Stewart to say she can't act, saying her performance as Bella was flat. But what we have to understand, and this is no shade, this is just truth. Bella Swan was written that way. She was I don't fl- agree. She was a flat character. I don't agree. You don't agree? I've read all those books. I've read I them to. too. I've read them too. And I don't I don't think that she was flat. I think that she was like alt teen trying to have an attitude and it read as flat. You see what I'm saying? Like I think whatever what's her name because what's her name that wrote the books is not a writer right let's be clear she just got a book deal okay just got some money because they knew that the the children would buy it but because none of the characters were written well like the it's not a good they're they're not good books i agree with Stephen king where he's just she like yeah they're not like looking when i was in when i was in middle school going to high school oh my god devoured them oh my god delicious but looking back and and like looking at the now like how like how many times are you going to use the word chagrined how many times because that was the only word she had (laughs) that was the one that's what i'm saying so like all in all all of that acting was very i wish you know what i wish i wish that twilight instead of a film series would have been a soap opera because then everything would have made sense. You know what I'm saying? Like Twilight, Breaking Dawn, the final season. Would have been great, would have been great. It would have been a beautiful soap opera. Film series, <laughs> days of our lives, TV slot, at like 11 o'clock in the morning, amazing. The fact that I can actually see this, like the camera work and everything. Everything, all of it. It's terrible like it, makeup, terrible CGI makeup. It's know? really, it, it's really fitting, and the dramatic score. It's really fitting right it now. It would have been great. Y'all, y'all should look into this. But I was just <laughs> gonna say, but I was gonna say, but for me personally, I think Kristen Stewart can act. I really do because I mean, catch that kid, Panic Room, um, Zathura. Uh-uh. Personal Shopper was the one that I think that she did a good job at. Personal Shopper. I I I think I saw like bits and pieces, but I I never have watched it entirely. It does intrigue me though, because it's like a mystery horror, right? Suspense. Yeah, suspense. Yeah. Um, there was that war one. I think she did like the army one. Um, underwater was really good. Um, Charlie's Angels was a fun time. Charlie's Angels was terrible. We don't talk about that. I would. I was just. Well, I was just gonna we say we don't talk about it. No. Mm-mm. If it's not Lucy Liu and Drew Barrymore and Cameron, and Cameron Diaz, Diaz yes, it. it's true. It's true. I can't, I can't argue with that. Her character was fun. That's all I'm gonna say. She was in the thirteenth year as who? I think she had like a very small, small like, like blink, she's not in blink this once, movie. blink once, and you miss it. Roll. Oh yeah, girl in fountain. Okay, I was like, what? <laughs> I told you, because otherwise I'd have been like, I would have, I would have remembered. I was like, I've seen definitely. this movie. That was my. I movie. remember Shay Starbuck. Okay, turning into a mermaid. I was like, she was not in this movie. That was my movie. My God, today Disney was on it back in the early two thousands. Let me tell you, late nineties, early two thousands. Woof. Anyway, um, but yes, and I just, I really want this to be the movie where it really just like 
proves to people that she she got she has it like she's she she's got it like she can do these things and that she's not deserving of all this this uh bandwagon criticism i i just really want a win for her and she just needs one because robert pattinson had water for elephants and everybody was like okay and what was the other one good time which i haven't seen oh the a24 thing oh my god it's so good i know it's good i need to see it i know it's good i know it's good i really need to see it but i just i want this for her because i i know i i trust her i believe in her um even though like Snow White and Huntsman's was fun, but she got ate the fuck up by um, Charlize Theron. It's not, it's not her fault. It's fine. It was fun, but Charlize Theron did. Oh Lord, have mercy. With Ravenna, you couldn't. You could not. It's Snow White, but Ravenna was star. I don't make the rules. That's just how it happened. But I have hope that Spencer will be the movie that will really like this will be the one that will really like show to critics and naysayers like, Hey, this, she's that girl. So hang it up. We'll see. Um, but as for Dune and um, um, last night in Soho, um, can we just talk about how like eight minute, nine minutes staying ovation for Dune and like five minute for last night. And so like people were clapping for that long, but you know what my trepidation is. Oh, yes. Come on. Word of the day. Trepidation. Yes. <laughs> were they applauding for the film or were they applauding for the actors in the film? Question mark. Because Dune is Timothy Chalamet, Lemelay, Melay, and Zendaya, whom are beloved by all. And then Last Night in Soho is What's My Girl's oh, Name with the Alien girl. Eyes. Uh-huh. There you go. <laughs> Who is like a jewel of the pandemic for Queen's Gambit. <laughs> so I'm it's like, just, it's so how crazy. much of this is conflated into who these people are versus True. the movie? True. It's so crazy how that happens because she had other credits before Queen's Gambit, like Split. Um, what was the other one? I don't think it matters if you can't remember it. I know I should remember it. I'm mad. Oh, The Witch. Robert Eggers, The Witch. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but when you which when you, still gave me like Tichuba vibes. I don't, I don't know. Maybe that's just me. But every time I see, <laughs> I see something like that, I'm like, oh, the crucible. <laughs> there you go again. My God. But no, I was just I with with Anya Taylor Joy. It's just amazing though. Like with the Queen's Gamut, because. Not only was it received well, it's on Netflix, which has this global reach. So, of course, she blew up. And now she's, like, the jewel of the movie world, but also the fashion world, too. Like, Luxury Law styled both her and Zendaya for Venice. And they look phenomenal. I just, I'm, like, I'm gagged. But I, I feel you. I feel you. Like, is it is it more... Are we about the celebrity spectacle? Are we about the art? Are we about the film? So I haven't read the reviews specifically, um, but I think they said that Dune was um, like, like cinema, like cinema. I think they said that it was, it was like, it had the scale of a blockbuster, but the drama and like the heart of something that's usually reserved for like an independent drama film and that is appealing to me because 
when when do you see that? Because it's usually, and you, and we know what but bo- both of those look like very specific things, mm-hmm. like art house drama indie with blockbuster block, you know, pizzazz. So if you if you're giving me that with this, I and I, I've been wanting to see Dune mainly because I am very impressed by the scale of it, like those um the the what are they the sandworms? Yeah. So I am keeping an eye on my Fandango. I'm waiting for the alert for the tickets because I'm going. Um, but I do, I do want to see that. Have and you I, seen the original? I have from not. 1984. I have not. Should I? It's David Lynch. I mean. Oh, okay. Well, um, and as for uh, last night in Soho, uh, I mean that just appeals to me because I mean Edgar Wright for one, but also. Um, it's just it's giving it's giving mystery it's giving horror we're we're doing time travel we're giving and the trailer doesn't really give us too much because it's like is is she becoming this woman or is this woman after her like what are the ghosts in the past are they are they becoming present what's going on it just it looks it looks very interesting because you want to know you want answers you want answers do you i i do i i, I mean do. i i do but active oops i do but i also try to actively live my life and not care about the whims of paper colored people with that said i'm also watching clickbait on netflix <laughs> and i just i just I, we just i just finished that today don't tell me nothing i just what got episode to, are you on the brother i just got oh. to the brother and i'm very i'm very upset because i'm just like he wasn't doing nothing to nobody. He was in his apartment, token up, minding his business. And this nosy reporter broke in, took his dead sister's phone, put all her business out there. And now he's a suspect because he's his brother. I'm just, I'm very upset at all. I, I want, at it okay. all. No spoilers. Let me shut up. Yeah, don't you say anything. Because I'm a... Who do you... Okay, 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 okay. okay. Who do I think it is? I don't know. I don't know. You have to have a suspicion. Every good detective has a suspicion. Who's on your list? You have a list. You have a top three. You have top three. I ain't got got no list. I I don't know because each episode, it's like we keep... First, we're on the sister. Then we're... Then we were on the... uh, Wait. Then... Hold on. Sister. Oh, detective. Wife. Oh, uh, mistress, um, reporter. Now we're on the brother. I don't know. I, you know, I like want it. It's not Matt. It's not Matt. That's too easy. Who is Matt? The friend? The, the, the other, like the other volleyball coach friend. That's too easy. That's way too easy. It's not Matt. It's not Matt. No, no, I know. It is too easy. That's too obvious. That's no, 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 no. They, with a show like this. They're 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 gonna throw us for a loop. I All know they are. mystery shows have the same tell. <laughs> if if Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys and the Mystery Gang taught me anything, the culprit is always someone you have met already. Dun, dun, dun. You know what? I'm a, I'm about to, I need to finish this series and call Jessica Fletcher while I'm watching. <laughs> I'm just like, girl, do you know, like, cause I need, I need some hints, but I don't know who it is. I just, but I don't, I know Matt is like, I know there, cause he always pops up when that, when that, uh, 
the volleyball girl is like telling the tea and like she gets she gets skittish and she runs off so i know he's probably like keeping secrets but i don't think he did it because i just think that's too easy but i just thought it was funny that you know like he got mad that she was having an affair but you were over here doing the same thing way before her i just i married men be the most single and it just it just like you see this wow that's a that should go on a t-shirt wow married men be the most wow that's a hot take folks married men be the most single i just i don't know you just see it all the time in fiction and then when you got in the apps um but it's just there's just (laughs) just too much going on um i don't know but i i um it's it's a mess right now um i really want to finish it but i'm just like very they pulled a um outsider they pulled um the outsider on me by having like i because i thought he was gonna be the spoilers people i thought he nick was going is it is it Nick? I thought yes, Nick, Nick. I thought Nick was gonna be alive the whole show, and he dies episode two. That's the same thing that happened in The Outsider by Stephen King. We thought, um, wow, I forgot his name, but in the show, Jason Bateman's character was gonna be alive the whole show. He dies in like the first quarter of the book. <laughs> right? I was shocked. Roxy I was like was I, shocked. I just couldn't believe it. <gasps> so, because when that happened, I'm just like what the i felt like it was like that um clip with miss juicy and minnie where she's like what the hell hell we gonna do now that's what i felt like because how you kill the main character and not even like the first 100 pages of the book and there's all these pages left and we're like what are we about to do where are we going and when i tell you that shit was so good oh my god again the outsider by stephen king I cannot recommend it enough. The book was so good. The show was so good. And clickbait is, it's entertaining me. It's keeping me invested. But I just, I, I just, I watch it and I just, the judgment, it's just so strong. I like, <laughs> how, how is the lead detective on your case? The one Can you just you matched with? Tinder? Like, I just don't. Uh, he fine though he's very very handsome but yeah i don't know but i'm gonna finish that but yeah they crazy mel they crazy they crazy but all right y'all that was the necronom con and we should get to our crit for this presentation i'm so excited so um i know we didn't really mention a lot last week but that was intentional because we are going to talk about it this week um last week Wait, was was that last week when we went already? No, that was two weeks ago. It was two weeks ago. My God, where is time going? But two weeks ago, um, Mel and I ventured out to the, into the city and we saw Candyman. Of course we did. <laughs> and it was it was a good time. Uh, Mel was a very big fan of the theater, um, the auditorium. So much sound coming from everywhere. We we weren't we weren't like when we, I wasn't, I don't know what I was expecting when we walked in, but I was not expecting that, especially how it went like straight down. Mm-hmm. I was like, wow, what a moment. Um, but it was it was great. Um, oh, speaking of movies, and this should have been included at the beginning. I'll probably, I'll just say it now. Shang-Chi was phenomenal. It was so good. Shang-Chi was phenomenal. It was so good. Was so I, good. I had my concerns, but Marvel did a really good job. I'm so happy that... Um, 
the director and the writer are both um of the of they're both asian i love mm-hmm. that like the authenticity it just i just i and oh i loved it i just it was the storytelling the adventure element was so addictive um i just i it was oh it was such a good time y'all shang chi wow phase four we're we're really we're really in we're in it we're really in for it it was funny it was so funny we could be responsible adults or 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 (laughs) (laughs) the comedic timing was on point it was very good um and razor fist i have a big crush on him so yeah Mm -hmm. um but i mean i've been following the funny thing is i've been following his actor uh florian montino um for a long time now like way before he got all these big film roles i think his first big one was um in creed 2 with michael b jordan he played the um he i think he played the son of uh Mm -hmm. uh yeah he played and like i just i just thought i'd been following on instagram just like way way before then so it's just so cool to see like him make these leaps and now he's going to be like a household name and i know he's going to be in other movies in the mcu so i'm just i'm very excited for everyone involved and um it was it was just so like wow it was they're real like phase four is really like shaping up to be something great and I, i'm just so it makes me even more excited for the eternals and spider-man mm. did, did you get did you get a trailer of spider-man before the movie started or no I don't remember. Isn't that crazy? I like they they of course they showed one for the Eternals, but they we did not get the Spider-Man trailer and I thought we would. Yeah. So weird. Because it was just released, but I thought we would get it, but no, it was but it's Shang-Chi probably they're good. probably gonna make another one. Honestly. What a trailer? Yeah. Well, yeah, but but Shang-Chi, y'all, um, if if you if you're feeling up to it and you're feeling um comfortable and you're safe um go go see it it was it is a phenomenal time it was see it on the biggest screen possible if you can it was really good but back to this one so we we witnessed um candy man um at the theaters and uh it was not as packed as i would have liked it to have been but then when you think about it that was probably safer so there you go um but nia da costa jordan peele and co like the movie was well worth the wait i think yeah they were smart to wait until they could put it in the movies and i'm glad and i'm glad they stuck to that yeah because watching it at home would not have given the same not nearly enough not and like we've talked about this before right and i think that's what jared was kind of talking about when he was like oh you know it's not as packed out as we would have normally liked it to be because as a black moviegoer a a large part of going to the movies is about the experience of the other black people in the audience with you right it's a different vibe Mm -hmm. right and so going to a theater in a black neighborhood especially to watch a film like this is a very different experience than going to lincoln square or i said lincoln square that's not even a place (laughs) or going it is AMC Lincoln Square. That's the one I go to. That's where the IMAX is. Okay. I didn't know if that was the right name. So cool. I was right. Um, but going or going so going to predominantly white places is not the same experience. It's just not. So 
I would like to see like I think it would be cool to watch a double feature of them both. Sometimes. Oh, ni- 1992 and 2021. Mm-hmm. Mm. Magic Johnson Theater should look into that. Mm-hmm. <gasps> oh, or there's um there's a drive-in out here in Newark. They should do that. Oh, that would be good. But I ain't got no car. <laughs> I can't just you know get get a lift and just sit there with the I don't know, <laughs> with the driver. <laughs> but no, um, but it was it was a great time. Um, the I think the pacing was really good. The movie wasn't too long. It wasn't too short. It felt just right. Um, I think the script was very well done. There were some moments I wish were different. There were some things I wish had more meat to them. But all in all, I think it was solid. Very, it was it was very solid. Um, and the way the ending kind of leaves it like wide open for like. But the thing is, they don't have to do anything else. But it just le- it leaves. But it, they could if they wanted. Yeah, yeah, it, le- it leaves the door open. Um, no Bruno Mars. Um, <laughs> so are we going into spoilers? oh Silk Sonic? Because um, I think we should put a a a, a mild disclaimer, like uh, folks. Oh, give give me a mm, on. Hi. Disclaimer: If you have not yet seen the film that we are talking about, pause the show here. Please go watch and then resume. We would love to have you join the conversation. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, spoilers, spoilers all around. We're we're really gonna get into. We're really gonna get into this. Can we? Uh, oh, I just realized we do we have a running gag this season. What what is up with us and men with hooks? Oh no! Cause yeah, here we are. What's going on? What here we are again? What what, what are we trying to say to the, the people? The hook-handed men. The hook-handed men. What's going on? Well, I already said. <laughs> always said I had a type. I'm kidding. Oh wow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. But okay. So um, let's get started on the fact that. This was a direct sequel in the same way that Halloween from 2019 was, where it picks up um, after the first one in, like, the franchise of the series, while disregarding all the other sequels, like, just knocking them off the table. I am not mad about. Oh, I'm not not mad about it either. Let's be clear. I mean... the other ones were were a lot. I will confess that... um, I actually was introduced to this character not through the 1992 original, but through the sequel, um, Candyman, uh, Farewell to the Flesh from... Uh, 1995. Yes, from 1995 uh, with the New Orleans uh, school teacher and all this stuff. Like I, That's the one that I grew up with. And that's when I learned, you know, not to... I'm not about to do this. I'm not about to say anybody's name that me or five. It's not happening. I was young. Me and my siblings were little when we saw this, and we were not playing those types of games. So even have you though seen the third one? No, I have not. Have you? No. Okay. So <laughs> so even though um Farewell to the Flesh and the third one were completely like, you know, disregarded by this one, it was it was fine. It was for a good reason because the whole thing was about, um, you know, Anthony having been chosen as a baby back in 1992 and then him kind of like fulfilling that with this one. 
Um, the movie does a lot of work when it comes to blending um, social commentary into the horror, because a lot of a lot of the social commentary is horror um, in the terms mm-hmm. like police brutality and how that's like a horror story for black people, like how um, Sherman the the um, the Candyman from Burke's time mm-hmm. with the with the who was accused of putting the razor blades in the candy he was beaten to death mm-hmm. when he was by the police when he was innocent and then Anthony being shot like he was point blank at the end of the movie innocent mm-hmm. and just how we in the I mean this has been going on for its time but I would say in like the past decade how the black community has been inundated and rocked by all this police brutality and these killings, just how that has become like this, well, not become, it. it, it is, but how it's just really to the forefront, the fact that it's just this huge site of fear and anxiety and horror for the black community and just seeing how, and how that was displayed on screen. Like, I really, I jumped very, very hard when they just shot Anthony like point blank like that it was the same thing that happened in Queen and Slam when Queen got shot we don't talk about them <laughs> I know I'm sorry but I just that was the most that was the most like I know I'm just kidding but like example. okay like I I hear what you're saying and I and I agree to an extent right but uh-huh. I personally do not like it when you when I see those things online and people are like oh this you know this is a horror story for black people because because I feel like it's it's not grasping the the totality of what's happening. Because I think that it's 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 I think what even though I don't like Queen and Slim and Get Out and this, I think what these films do is highlight the horrific nature of these events so that everyone can understand it mm-hmm. because i think when when the phrase is like this is her, this is a horror story for the black community it loses that that makes the moment lose some of what makes it terrifying so it's like those moments should be scary for everyone you know what I mean? Like a state sanctioned entity running through your neighborhood and murdering people with no consequence should be a scary thought for everyone. And it is unfortunate in the racist place that in the racist country that we live in, that is only a scary thing for specific communities. And I think that what these films do, Queen and Slim, Get Out, um, Candyman, whatever, is make those is is take the horrific nature of those moments and translate them through this genre so that they are scary for everyone and not just for the communities that have been affected by centuries of racism. Because it's like there is no reason that everyone should be afraid of a boogeyman who you say his name five times and he comes out to, to slit your knife, to slit your neck with a hook but you are not afraid of a policeman shooting you in the face. Mm. And it levels the playing field to take 
a um, fictional scary thing and a realistic scary thing and make them equally scary. Do you think that happened? I do. Okay. Because it's, it, it, I think this was, was different in the first one, one, because of the lens that we looked at it through, right? Because put positioning ourselves in the lens of a black woman watching her lover go down this, like, um, like mentally deteriorate, right. Is a different place of compassion than watch seeing this film through the lens of a white woman who was made to feel crazy because she sees a ghost. Right. Mm-hmm. But in the first film, the Candyman was always a villain. Even after we found out his tragic past, mm-hmm. he was always still seen as an antagonistic figure. So even when I don't remember her name, Helen, when Helen saved Anthony from and the gave fire him back to his mother, mm-hmm. right? Anne Marie. He, he was. She was. She was the heroine at the end because of her sacrifice or whatever it was, which was kind of pointless. In this, be, the Candyman is seen as a tragic hero of sorts, right? Especially mm-hmm. in the end scene because he kills all of the police officers who murdered him and blah, 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 whatever. So it's this big like vengeance moment. And then we realize that the, all of the iterations of this figure have sought revenge against the people who murdered them in the first place. Mm-hmm. So it positions us in a different way. Mm-hmm. And it, it it kind of equates the violence to that like revenge moment. So it, it makes you look at it differently. But yes, I think that it does level the playing field for what is scary and what isn't. And like what is real world scary and what isn't. Because I feel like if if fictionally we are all afraid of what happens when police officers find you alone then realistically we can also be afraid, right? Mm-hmm. It, it kind of makes this real thing that happens into a lore that we can all go on and tell, you know, because like yeah. that happens in black communities anyway, right? Like as a kid, we all had the talk about what happens when a police officer shows up or what happens if you get arrested, blah, 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 blah. But I think this, for people who didn't necessarily grow up with that conversation because they were privileged enough not to Mm. now have a point of reference to say, Oh, you know, these police killed this guy and he was innocent and he was obviously innocent. And that's scary. And that's the beauty of the last line of the movie being tell everyone. Right. Which was like a instruction given to, um, Wow. Brianna. So yeah, it just it was very it was a nice narrative switch of him being seen as like an antagonist um into a tragic hero, like vengeance figure. Um it was and it just it felt like I was not expecting to walk away from the movie feeling like uh I, I saw a tweet or something that said like they felt like they had a superhero on their side, like a secret superhero on their side. I don't feel like that. Yeah, I know. I, I, mean, I don't feel like that either because I mean, I'm, I'm still not going to set, you know, but we ain't, right. We, I'm not down. I'm not down. Right. Not it's, just down one, it's just one of the things where it's just like, oh, so he's it's FUBU. Yeah. 
yeah so hey but um the movie let's see also something to celebrate for nia DaCosta. um she was the first black woman director with the number one film at the box office and i just i was very happy i was very pleased but i was also very confused because i'm just like this is a first in 2021 Name five black women film directors off the top of your head. That's not Julie Dash. Quickly. Ava DuVernay. Um, oh, you said directors? Like yeah. movie, like movies specifically or? Yes. Oh. Just, I mean, because like, I, and I'm not doing this to be like a dick because I can't do it either, right? But that's a part of the problem is that Black women are not given even this, are, are not afforded this chance to even try to be here. So I will, I appreciate Jordan Peele for paving the way for her to, to do this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, it, I, and it's just only up from here. I'm very, I'm very happy for her. Didn't, wasn't it announced that she just, uh, something, she, what would, she's going to just direct something else. Nia Costa. Yeah, hold on. Because like Julie Dash hasn't made a feature since Daughters of the Dust because no one will give her money to, even though Daughters of the Dust won an Academy Award. Gina Prince Blythewood, I don't think has made anything since Love and Basketball. That was another one. Yep. Regina King, but I'm mad at myself. I should have known Regina. I'm so mad. I love Regina King. Wow. Wow. I'm so mad. Lena Waithe, but no one is checking for them right now because Queen and Slim was terrible. Again, so mad. I did not say Regina King. Um, forgive me. And I think most of the other people that can be put on the list were like one-time directors. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like Beyonce made Lemonade, but she ain't out here making movies. So... Didn't she also? Did she? She didn't direct Black as King, did she? I don't remember. No, I don't think she did that. Hold on. And then, like, there's Julie Dash. I mean, no, not Julie Dash. Cassie Lemons. But I don't know what the last thing is. She made. nope. She did. She did direct it. She did direct it. Wow, she did direct Black as King. Amazing. Um, oh yeah. no, Cassie Lemons made that terrible Harriet Tubman movie. That was with, with, with Cynthia. Yeah. <laughs> But that was the woman who made Eve's Bayou. To freedom. Oh my God. Eve's Bayou was such a good film. Wow. Wow. What a twist. What a twist that was. But the movie I was thinking of that Nia's up next to direct is uh, The Marvels. So that's MCU. Mm. So I'm just, I'm, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it. I'm very excited for Miss DaCosta because she's really going to give it to us. Um, but I, I could have sworn she was announced to get like a series or something like on Apple or no, I'm getting her mixed up with, uh, with me, uh, with Misha green. Hmm. Mm-hmm. But no, I'm, I'm very excited though for Nia and what this means for her and her career, as well as the doors that it will open um, for countless other black women. So Especially in horror, because I just like this. 
I, this movie was what it was because it was led by a black woman. Yeah. And I just, I just think that cannot be understated um, from, you know, the, how it flowed and how it felt, but also to the fact that, like you said, it was from the lens of a black woman. Um, and really black women were like the, the cores of this movie and also the 1992 one, because you had the mother Anne Marie in 92 trying to protect her baby, Anthony. And then you have Brianna um, in 2021 in this one, basically trying to do the same thing. But that is where my first problem. Yes. Say it. Let's, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it there. I was waiting for Anne Marie to show up. Yeah. For a very long time, I was waiting for this woman to pop onto the screen. And what do we only get? Like three minutes. Not even of her explaining the lore and like what happened and who he really was and blah, 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 whatever. Right. And by that point of the film, we were already at the tail end of this tunnel. So there wasn't anything that she could do to influence the outcome, which was disappointing. Because it puts her in the same position she was in the first time, where she is waiting for something to happen or not happen. And I didn't appreciate that. And I feel like there could have been, and I mind you, I wasn't there. I wasn't on set. I wasn't in the writer's room. I don't know. But I personally feel like she could have had a larger part to play in all of this. Because we only got like one scene. It was just that one. And maybe there were other scenes that were cut out. Who knows? Possibly. Just that one scene was disappointing. Especially God. I was only going to say because they already ruined, well, not already ruined, but all of us who knew what was happening knew that he was the baby. They knew that that was his mother. So her opening the door wasn't a, oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my goodness. It's Vanessa Williams. So it was just, it was not, it was not cute to me. And she had been mentioned um, so many times in the movie leading up to her appearance that she could have just appeared before then. Like, because why did he have to go to her? Why couldn't she have shown up at his place? She could have shown up at the art gallery. Yeah. Oh my God. That would have been so good. Like I, I I just came to support my baby. And then she saw what he did and then she got mad and walked away. Oh, that would have been so good. She she wouldn't even have to say nothing. nothing. She's gonna the face would have just went. Said it all, and she was like, "You don't know what you've done, boy," and walked off. Oh my god, that would have been so good, Mel. That would have been so good. That would have been phenomenal. But she did kill, you know, the 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 five minutes that she got flawlessly. It was very good, but it just it just after that performance it was just like she was just severely underused. Yeah, she was severely underused because I, I get the fact that you know this is 2021, not 99, not 1992. She's not good, she's not like the she's not going to have that that kind that same kind of role anymore, but she is still very significant to the story. And I felt like if she had more presence in the film, it just would have 
I don't know. I don't know if that would have changed the trajectory of Anthony's story at all, but. I wish it wasn't him that had gone. I wish it was Brianna that had gone because they had already set the stage for the two of them to not be on good terms because the mother was like, the mother was like, oh, you know, you're paying. Like he made that quip about how the mother implied that she paid him not to show up to her house or whatever it was for dinner. Mm-hmm. So I think it would have been more impactful if she had been the one to show up at the mother's house and ask her what the hell was going on. And and the story had been told to her. And then oh, from there, the she raced, right. It was the big reveal because and he doesn't know and how could she tell her and she was trying to protect her son and blah 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 blah. and then she's like well i've been now i'm trying to protect your son and i need you know i'm trying to protect your son and i need to know what from and then from there we go to the church yeah or we go to the the laundry laundry mat and then we yeah then we get kidnapped to go to yeah church so no so there are a couple ways that she could have been utilized more um and changed maybe the 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 not like the ending of some, not, like not like the point of some events, but maybe the way they went about. Um, but yeah, I just yeah, Vanessa was severely underused. And then when it comes to um, Brianna, I just kind of the narrative of the black woman having to save everyone. Did you catch that? Yeah, it was a lot because. Brianna's character was very confusing because here's my problem number two. I didn't care about the backstory with her father. I knew it. I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming, <laughs> folks. I knew it like, was coming. It was such a pointless moment to add in to me because it it could have we could have talked about it once and let it go. Instead, we have a flashback moment. The brother brings up his stuff. The, the 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 curator woman brings it up again the correlation blah 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 it was just too heavy-handed for nothing to have happened why are we introduced to an entirely new character that we never get to see outside of these little itty bitty moments it was i think it was redundant and i think it was it took up too much screen time and it reinforces that narrative because she couldn't save this one black man now she must save them all right daddy issues is played and I was tired. And <laughs> I feel like they put her in the same position as his mother in terms of agency, because she was trying to make things happen with this white man in this gallery. Right. And instead of making the thing happen, she literally had something happen to her when she walked in and found these bodies. Right. So that was something affecting her and not the other way around. Then the same thing with this dinner that she asked him to show up to and not screw it up because she had to impress this white man. And then he's going boo, 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 banana crazy. And then everybody finds out that the curator or the critic died. Yeah. And then he just runs out. Right. So again, those are things making him look guilty as hell as hell as all hell. But then that again, that is something that is happening to her. Even the um, art gallery opening before all the murder and mayhem happened when he got drunk and started being rude. That was something happening to her that she still had to clean up. The whole film. labor. That's all she kept doing to everyone around her. From the white guy from New York 
to the black lady curator, to him, to the mother, to her brother. That's all she did to even the guy. What's his name from Cabrini Green? That's all she did the entire time. Was all of this additional labor to not only try to position herself in a better place, but to try to prevent those terrible things from happening to her. Yeah. So for Brianna, I was just, I was just kind of, I felt really sad for her because it's just, there was, there was just a lot of lifting that she was having to do, especially when it came to that scene with the, the art gallery, the, um, and it was just, and it was the other black woman, but all, um, and Brianna was trying to steer the conversation back to, um, herself and, and her work and her goals, what she wanted to do, like with the space and everything, but all the other women could talk about was the work of her boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, why is it that this woman is being undermined by her own man? Life. Um, so <laughs> there was just, yes. So, and, and then even at the end, she's given, you know, like more stuff to do, but at the same time, she was the one who invoked, you know, the, well, he actually, the police officer was the one who said the final last, the last time. And that's when he showed up, but she, I think she was the first one to utilize and see Candyman as like, um, a weapon for vengeance. But the only reason that it was able to even do that is because Anthony was her boyfriend. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's the only reason why he didn't murk her. In I'm the back so, of the police car. Yeah, yeah, I was so glad she. Oh Lord, I was so scared, but I'm so glad that didn't happen. Um, yeah, and just there's yeah, there was a lot there with her character and uh, Anthony get like them together, like the whole that part where um, she was trying to prove him wrong by you know saying the name front of the mirror and he went crazy and broke both of the mirrors mm-hmm. and she got really really scared it was like do don't move like do not come towards me i really loved that scene that just felt very authentic and like the fact that you know he he wants he's not gonna move because he, he cares about her he does not want to scare her but like he just it was just a very like the the powerlessness of him there which is very like very poignant to me um but no brianna was a great character but it was just the emotional labor she had to do and especially seeing it be a black woman have to do that over and over again stemming from and centering on the men in her life i took it to mean like the reason why she got with anthony and like the the correlation between her and her father was the fact that it was this whole like struggling artist thing and also like you said um she had that cape on she wanted to save everyone you know yep it's just but then from the conversations he wasn't struggling when they met i think that they met when he was in grad school and he was doing all these things and it was great and it was cute and it was fantastic and then he graduated and like lost his mojo or whatever and that's when the struggle bus started to happen and then and struggle struggle um, can make and break a lot of relationships. And so I think they were at the stage where if he couldn't get his mojo back, she's just like, what am I, what am I doing here? Because didn't she pay for the apartment? It was her apartment. Yep. So you, no, I don't want to do, I don't want to do that to him, but I was going to say, so you bumming. 
it's just at her place. But that's what yeah. you get when you marry an artist. But everybody cannot married. be. Were they married? You are with an artist. Okay. Everybody cannot be Tanache Code's wife. You know what I'm saying? Like that is not everybody's what? calling. You <laughs> everyone can't just support their person until something happens. You know what I'm saying? That's not for yeah, everybody. And, 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 and that's and that is completely fair. Um, if this was, you know, of course, especially if this was discussed um at length in the beginning of the relationship. Because y'all gotta be at a certain point to understand like um what your limits are or like what the deal is, because it's just like, you know maybe I can be the breadwinner to support you for some time, but you just can't be sitting there. Right. But I think it plays into this idea of like toxic masculinity to an extent too, because I think that was a part of the jab of his mother saying, Oh, did she pay you to not come to dinner? Cause you broke and you got no money. And then the brother was poking fun at him. Talking about he needed to stop lifting weights and start painting to pay for something or whatever, pay the bills or whatever it was. Mm. Everyone throughout the whole film was taking jabs at his masculinity from his, his lack of being able to be the provider. Yeah. I was just see, yes, we're, we're on it. We're on the same thing. I was just going to say, because he, because he is not fulfilling the role of being the provider. It's it, there. They see him as less than right. He's not, he's not playing his part. So what are you doing here? What, what am I doing here with you? If you are not, playing your part i feel like i'm 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 leveling down i should be leveling up what is going i'm trying to move Mm -hmm. to i'm trying to be like this uh what the creator of my own space and do all these shows but yet all they want to and then all they want to talk about is you and your work so Mm -hmm. like what are we so yeah right so yeah so i feel like if if the supernatural thing wasn't even involved their relationship would just it it might not have it wouldn't have. Yeah. So there were too many other people involved at that point. Right. And I feel like once your placement is questioned by everyone around you, it, it just becomes this, this seed that grows dissentment and, and resentment and jealousy. And then it's, it's a very difficult thing to fix. So that's some, yeah. So that's something interesting to, think about the emotional labor of the black women um anthony not being a provider and how that affected him everything yeah because uh, if he had been a successful artist that's the other crazy thing that also made him desperate for you know inspiration that's why right. he was wondering where he was yeah and that's why he went to cabrini green in the first place yeah because the, that the pushed him to talk about gentrification blah 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 like it was a thing well like it was something new excuse me so it's like if he had been successful i don't know painting landscapes he would there's not, none of this would even happen so yeah. but so new issue that i hadn't even thought about so in the film right where one of the subtexts is gentrification of of the projects yes and that's where we meet burke who is one of the last remaining tenants of Cabrini Green. Yes. My issue now that I'm thinking about it is usually in slasher type films, even though this isn't a slasher, that's why I said slasher type. There is the, the wise old creepy man 
who stands, who works at the gas station, which is the last stop before we get to the to the cabin in the woods that says <laughs> you shouldn't go to that cabin. <laughs> and it's disappointing to not have that moment in this, to not have like like the squatter person or whatever warn him off of this story so i have a question so if burke did play that role then how would um the third act have played out no i didn't i think in my head what i would have wanted to happen is there to be another person like a visually homeless person squatting in the apartment that pops up like what are you doing here you don't live here leave this alone. You don't know what you're, you know, you like, you don't know what you're about to get into young man type of a thing. And then Bert come around the corner, like Tony, leave that man alone. Gone. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then don't that, mind him. because it also gives that would have given Burke more credibility than what he kind of had throughout. Cause to me, he was kind of iffy throughout the whole time. I'm like, why are you just walking around talking to people? And I feel like if he would have just, if he would have, it would have been able to position him a little bit more for him to be like, yeah, I'm from around here. What are you doing? What's going on? Okay. Now that would, that would be an interesting concept though. Having another person, having Burke be the warn, the, the, the warner and then having um, another homeless person be like the one who's going to fulfill the prophecy. So mean? no, 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 no. Oh, the homeless person would have been the Warner person. Oh, and, and would have come in and be like, "Bro, go on someplace." Oh, you don't know what he's talking about. Okay, okay. And then it would have also been an easier transition to be like, "Well, what is what is this Candyman? What is he talking about?" Oh well, I mean, if you really want to know, let me tell you. And then boom, then we're in the church. He saw the handoff. Problem number. I don't know what number we're on anymore. Fingers. Um, I don't understand how we got to where we got to with Burke, really. You know what I mean? Like, when did he figure out that that was the baby? Probably the moment, was the, he, baby? Probably the moment he laid eyes on him. How? He just knew. Whatever. Uh, <laughs> and then it's like, how long... Because homeboy was prepared. He had a hook. He had a saw. He had a coat. He, what happened, right? How long were you plotting and planning? Like, were you just waiting for for the baby for the prodigal son to return to Karina Green and you just had all this stuff ready in the church, or like, what did you genetically modify this bee to sting him and then affect his body in this way? I don't understand. Like precisely. There were there was a lot of, of of things that were just kind of ready, and I don't know Questions how long you we were answers. planning to get there. Because where did you get this hook from? Where did you get this hook from? Maybe how? There a, who? Maybe there was a meat factory nearby. Is that where he got the the saw saw? Because like, what what did you Google to figure? Are you just cutting somebody's hand off now? Maybe there was a hardware store. Who knows? I don't know. Maybe you had practice. I don't know. But what I do know is. Coleman Domingo can play threatening roles so well and at the drop of a hat. If you guys have ever seen Zola or if you haven't, there's a scene where Zola is about to back out. She wants nothing to do with anything anymore. 
And when I say he he switched so fast into this this like he got very like this the accident came out and he got very like antagonistic and angry and like it, it was so fast it gave me whiplash and so with this one how he 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 went he just went full on like crazy and then evil chopping off a hand and then chasing after beyond in the dark oh my god that was so scary it was just he my Coleman Domingo like the range he has is incredible and how quick he can just he can just like turn turn the switch and turn the gears is phenomenal but um I I don't know I just I feel like he had known the legend so well and he was so young when he realized that you know Candyman was real and that he had an idea of what to turn him into that once he once Anthony didn't happen like didn't die in the fire and so they had to and he had to like it had to start again he i just feel like he hung on to the hope of anthony returning and made up this plan because he just knew he just knew that this is what it was gonna have to take and this is what he would have to do in order for Candyman to really be you know like for the community I feel like that's a stretch, but I'm going to let you have it. It probably is, but I I don't know. But Because I think that's still the confusing thing, right? Because, like, we we all know that for some reason, Candyman chose Anthony as a baby. But it's still not clear what he was chosen for. Because a baby burning in a fire. But he would have been a baby. Maybe his ghost is growing. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. She just looks at me. I don't know. So now we're going to pray to sweet little eight pound, six ounce baby candy man with a pacifier and a hook in his tuxedo shirt. Casual, but still fancy. Like, I can't, like, I can't. <laughs> oh, just imagine it's like these parents who are just clamoring, just like, let me, I got to take a picture. Look how cute he looks. He's adorable. Stand still all this stuff yeah so i don't know guys i don't know but i mean i wonder i i guess if y'all have fan theories please let us know because i am slightly confused (laughs) um the last couple things i just want to say was um you know with the the social commentary again um white supremacy you know with the police we saw it with the gatekeeping in the art world with that art critic and then um the uh uh the the exhibition like space owner um and how they just really seem determined not to get anthony's work and just like judge him for it like um he anthony had this great line where he said you know like who i think did you say who builds or who makes the ghettos Mm -hmm. i thought that was so important because it got into how gentrification works how there's a there's a low income black neighborhood um or wait well because it was interesting because in the gallery right the woman the white art critic is like yeah 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 your your point of view is played out i've heard it before i've seen it before and then when those people start dying and she calls them over for an interview that's when he broke it down, right? He was like, well, how do you, who you think, how do you think this happens in the first place? The government 
sees these black people and is like, oh, bet y'all don't need no money. Sweet. And then yeah. we turn into the projects. And yeah. then the white people get afraid of the projects. So yeah. the government's like, oh, shit, we got to do something. So, you know, we'll entice artists because artists are poor anyway. And they want the free housing. And they will they will face the scourge of the projects with, with their heads held high. And and then the line that he thought that he said I thought was funny was like, and if you hold out a couple of years, we'll give you a whole foods. For real. Didn't that just happen in uh, Harlem? Yeah. The whole where the Whole Foods is in Harlem used to be an apartment building. I did not know that. Wow. wow. And it's crazy because a little um, quick tangent. There wasn't a grocery store on 125th Street for years, decades. They had um, the the fruit cart people right and then you could go to other blocks or whatever up and down to get like like groceries groceries and then come back home then they built the i think it was like a fine foods or a stop and shop or something <laughs> by where you get off on the six train the the it wasn't a stop and shop whatever it was i don't remember but the but the grocery store chain went bankrupt and when oh. it went bankrupt they shut down the grocery store <laughs> So now, because they built the grocery store, all of the fruit cart and the food cart and the vegetable cart people left because everyone was going to the grocery store. Then they shut down the grocery store and all of the people who were like um, unhoused or addicted to drugs would go to the grocery store, to the abandoned grocery store and do things that unhoused slash addicted people do, right? Especially because there's a methadone clinic right down the street. Anyways, oh my God. Then they put a fence around it, which really didn't do much of anything. And then when I was still working in Harlem, they were talking about knocking it down and building luxury condos, and it would be the tallest building on 125th Street, right? Now, a couple blocks up the street, they tear down an apartment building and put in a Whole Foods. Because who are those apartments going to be built for? Surely the people not the people who would who shop are, at the Whole Foods. Exactly. Surely not the people who already live there. Surely not that. So yeah, the way the way how they covered gentrification, I think, was very important. Um, even, and it wasn't heavy-handed, thank God. It wasn't. It's, and because uh, uh, the sister, like Brianna, um, her apartment that was gentrification right there. And they made a point of saying so. Which again could be a timing. Um, also, there is another, you you might have not caught this one because it was kind of subtle, but at the art gallery and also in the in the high school bathroom, but that like the ringleader of the girls, that blonde one, mm-hmm. um, she was wearing bamboo earrings, the gold mm-hmm. ones, and had a name chain. And you know that shit does not come from white girls. Black women were the ones too popular. Like black women, whenever I see bamboo earrings, I automatically associate them with black women mm-hmm. all the time and then name chains especially in like um really like specialized fonts like come on like the gold ones so her gentrifying like black culture as a lot of you know the t- this tiktok generation loves to currently do that's why a lot of them are like um if they're not getting banned or kicked off the platform they're leaving of their own accord because it's like they're getting censored on there. Did you read about all this? Yeah, I, I've seen it live. 
like they just keep snatching the girls' accounts, and for what? It's just like we, like we drive the culture, but y'all are anyway. Um, but how like that was gentrification? How in the optics of her bullying a black girl who survives because she was minding her business and you don't she minded the business that paid her and also let's get into this how out of the out of that uh girl group halfway through the ritual oh through, like God, the chant through the chant died the windows the windows like fell open like it could just be a breeze or it could be the spirit saying like okay like we're the ancestors listening. said get out we're like we're listening <laughs> go on but um the one the one girl who ran out was um asian american like the window spell, she said, I'm I'm out, fuck I'm this. this. I'm grabbing my purse, I'm going. And she left, and because of that, she was spared. The rest of them ended up still saying it and got God. But it was the fact that like they they were the way they were saying it though, it was like they they knew they couldn't be touched. It was like they were just like the way they were carrying themselves and speaking all this stuff, it just had this air of like invulnerability or invincibility to everything yeah um but specifically like because this legend the whole uh, anthony's whole exhibit was about say it and how that centers on you know you have to and you have to invoke the you have to invoke the spirit you have to say it but the fact that the movie had made it very clear very clear that black people were not going to say shit they made this clear in the trailers. They made it clear in the actual film through like uh, the like how anytime one of them had tried to say the name, there was always someone there to stop it. Like uh, uh, uh. we don't do that. Uh, uh. Like Anne <laughs> Anne Marie to Anthony, um, Anthony to Brianna uh, with the mirrors, and then um, uh, Troy with his boyfriend. Um, oh, uh, Grady. His name was Grady. Okay. It's his name was Grady. Um, so yeah, like um, Troy with Grady. Um, but even Grady had sense because, like, I mean, well, for one, look at who you're with, but also at least you know, he did he he had sense. But, but I was, think that I think now that even when we're talking, this is a very clear commentary on being disconnected from your culture and being disconnected from who you are mm-hmm. because I think that. Like we've been through grad school, right? Mm-hmm. And we've all we've both met those people of color who feel a part of the bubble of whiteness, right? Oh. And feel included in the bubble of privilege because of your level of education and because of the circles that you run in. And I feel like because Anthony was so disconnected from all of it, from his mother from his history, from his past, that he also had that air of invincibility when it came to something that was very real and very Oh, uh, yeah. He was just so naive walking in there. But, like, even the that first moment when he was talking about the lore and they were sitting in front of the window and he said it, and then, he, like, we saw the reflection and we knew mm-hmm. that, you know, it had started. Mm-hmm. He, every other black person was like, no, thank you. We don't do Ouija boards. 
We don't do the devil. Jesus be a fence, right? We don't go down to the to the basement when that seems like the, you know, like that it's being angled in a way where she was just like, nope. Nope, I'm good. And I and I think that that disconnectedness kind of made him lose his common sense or made him lose that connection to that discernment, as as Maisie would say. Like he lost it a bit because he was so caught up in trying to be a part of the bubble of of being an a, an artist that all of the white people would approve of exactly but that's that's what happens when you try to um assimilate and like get that get that get that like white fame because because yeah. it's it's different when it's like black fit like your own community fame because white fame brings with it uh access right it brings with it um lots of riches and like uh like um unfathomable stability if you have if you'd like you are not if you do not come from that or if you have no idea what that is and with him wanting that and him like really trying to break his back to get it and trying to really like kind of like almost pretend like he's not from where he is yeah it's just it's some sad shit i think too there's this there's this thing that the media does in the United States, right? Where when a black person is murdered, we see it everywhere. The video is on Facebook, it's on Twitter, it's on Instagram, it's on the news. We get the the anchor giving the warning. Just flooded Some, with just flooded with black trauma. Right. And the anchor is like some viewers may find this content unsuitable, blah 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 blah. But whenever a white person is killed in any way or is the murderer of people, we always see like their high school superlative photo. Oh, he was, <laughs> he was a good man. And his favorite color was turquoise. And he liked Snickers without almonds. You know what I mean? Stay trying always, to humanize him. Right. And it's always a very different mediation of death. Mm-hmm. And because you know they weren't about to do that with Anthony, right? They were already trying to say they were trying to they were already trying to coerce uh, Brianna into saying that um, he, he had tried, a weapon or something. Yeah, he tried to attack them, and that's why they shot. So yeah, it's just yeah. Continue. I think that one of and we talked about this a little bit in our in our immediate review is that I feel like there were moments in Candyman that could have been more gory, right? Because we I, saw yeah. the I was two, me- go ahead. I, I was just, I was, um, the, the scene with the, with the high school girls was a letdown. Cause I thought we were going to get way more than we did. The right. sound, the sound effects are great. I love the shot in like the compact mirror. That was really good. But I really thought we were going to see some full on, like, oh my God, he's, he's really, he's getting them. And we didn't get that. I was very disappointed. Right. And I think it's, it's there's a subtext of innocence to an extent because the first murders we see are the music, the gallery curator and the chick he's hooking up with that's underage. And that harks back to if you have sex, you die. Right. (laughs) So we, we see them murdered live and in person ripped apart Achilles heel. Live in color. Yeah. The next person I, who dies, and correct me if I'm wrong, is the 
museum curator. I think you're right. Yeah. And we see her death pulled back from afar. The shot was beautiful. Jesus. That was such oh a well God. done shot because you're you're looking at other stuff. You're looking at other people in the apartments. Like, do y'all not see what's going on? Very no one see rear window. I loved it. My issue with it, it is that it it came. There was subtext there of a level of innocence because of how far removed we were from seeing her die, mm. and it makes it feel like. It's just like, she, are you innocent though? No one is innocent. No one is innocent, right? But the curator and the and the teenager were actively doing something wrong. And then were actively punished for that wrongdoing in that moment. Right. The critic was was race is light. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so we were removed farther removed from her death because even though she was actively participating in systemic racism, she was not like a KKK member. Therefore, yeah. we took a step back. And then even the kids, right, even though they were bullying this girl and they were gentrifiers in their own right. And, 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 and because they weren't directly involved in a wrongdoing. And I think because they were children and children have a level of innocence, quote unquote, uh, we were even farther removed from their deaths. And I wish that all of them ha- would have been on the same level, mm-hmm. even though the severity of their quote unquote wrongdoings was different mm-hmm. because black people are not afforded that luxury of being separated in that way because Tamir Rice's video was streamed 24 seven for like a month. Trayvon Martin's like all of that was front and center for such a very long time. And I don't know. It's gross. Right. And I don't know if it is, I don't know what the word is, right. Fair, equal, what have you to be able to, in a narrative, still have white people have this this these different pockets that they can exist in because even in the news when the teenagers were dead and it was on the news it was still their yearbook photos yeah you know what i mean it was still that same level of of concern and care around their deaths than even anthony got in in the film yeah somber i'm sorry <laughs> no it's okay points it's are just made. the mood today it's the mood points are made um but the last thing i wanted to say was um at the end um the movie did that shadow puppet theater isn't that kara walker no i i i i looked already i did not see her name um uh it was a chicago-based puppet theater company uh manual cinema but it's based, not based. I think that it is lightly inspired by Kara Walker's silhouettes. Hmm. Have you seen them? I yeah, I've seen yeah, Kara yeah, I, I I've studied this uh, briefly in grad school, so I wouldn't be surprised if they took ooh. That'd be great inspiration, but they but they wanted someone to they wanted an outside studio to be able to do this for them, 
and that's how they found um, manual cinema. But what I liked about the shadow puppet theater scenes at the end of the movie was it was based on like fiction, but also historical fiction because the um, the one that made us both gasp when we saw he was in the electric chair. Um, oh yeah, that little boy. Mm. Um, that was based off of George Stinney. Uh, he was um, a fourteen-year-old. Yeah, Betty and Betty June Binnaker and Mary Emma Thames. This sounds an awful lot like uh, the Green Mile. Oh my God! There are what pictures. A, Jesus Christ! If that's where Stephen King got it. But yeah, um, that 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 was based on a true story. Um, the one where um, the black man moved into an all white neighborhood and they dragged him out of his, the mob dragged him out of his house, um, tied him up to one of their cars and then like Driving drove, drove and like dragged him down the street to his death. I don't know if that was based on something real, but I wouldn't Probably. be surprised at all because our history is brutal. Um, it's not all sunshine and rainbows. And the fact that like Nia and Jordan took real life, like things that I like, uh, things that happen as a result of white supremacy and uh, also police brutality and weaved it into the Candyman narrative. And the fact that like they were all Candyman and, and how with the spirit being, you know, now, um, a, a, a sort of weapon of vengeance for black people. It's just like, what does that, what, what does this mean as a form of justice? What does this mean as a form of when they're reparations? Oh, I was like, what are you talking about? Yeah, that is the correct word. Like, what, what does this look like as reparations? Because something interesting, something very, very, very interesting to note, y'all and we'll wrap it up after this, is the fact that aside from Burke's older sister and her friend um, in, like, when Burke was a kid, Mm -hmm. after they summoned Candyman in the bathroom, the only people that got murked in this movie by Candyman were white people. Like, I just, I mean, that speaks for itself, especially all that we've said here, but it's just such a big thing that we that i actually had to like i it took me like a moment because i actually thought about it i was like oh snap no i'm right like there it was only it was the it was the curator it was the um art critic it was who who was after that the girls in the bathroom oh the girls in the bathroom and then and then the police officers so it's like so so it makes you think when he says when he said, when Tony Todd <laughs> said, tell everyone, like, who is the everyone he's speaking of? And what is he, what exactly is he telling her, you know? But I think that's, but I think that goes with Anthony's exhibit, how that went viral, the whole say it thing. And that's how it was reaching so many people because out of curiosity or whatever they were going to say, especially this younger crowd. So it's just going to spread like wildfire. It reminds me of that movie from uh, Bloomhouse, uh, Truth or Dare. Mm-hmm. And like the ending of that. So I thought the ending was great. Um, and it's just, like I said, it leaves it wide open. But at the same time, 
it was just amazing how historical things were taken, blended into fiction, and then changed the Candyman narrative in this way for him to be instead of this that this 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 horror figure that is out for you know scaring out for you know blood and death to this instrument of vengeance on behalf of a community that has been abused stripped ransacked and just put through the ringer by um you know the so-called dominant group mm-hmm. um and I then think, oh, go ahead, go ahead. i was just gonna say i think too that as a as a black horror scholar I, ar- I argue, I wrestle a lot with the idea of the portrayal of Black death, right? And what that means and the gravity and the weight of the situation. Because, like, what would it do for the culture to have a Black serial killer running around killing people in the suburbs, right? What does that mean on a larger scale than just making a movie? Because we all understand at this point that that what you see is kind of what you expect in all of these circumstances. And so I say that to say that the original Candyman was such a cultural moment, right? Because here is this Black man who not only carries this legacy of all of these terrible things that have happened to us as a culture, but it's also a genuinely scary ass dude. You know what I mean? Like he is running around. I mean, that was Tony Todd, y'all killing people like like and so to bring that back i think all these years later and to still keep that same level of terror and then to still be able to so graciously hold all of the weight of what that question means of what it means to have a black serial killer basically you know what i mean I think they did a phenomenal, I think the movie was a phenomenal job in that they, I think that the movie did a phenomenal job in handling all of the material. Yeah. It was Both the, the, the historical aspect and the, the actual story plot and the actual lore of this character. Yes. The lore. I love the lore because while 1992's Candyman was a cultural moment, I would say this one was more so a social moment or like a movement. You know, especially based on the fact that, you know, his his whole thing for his exhibit or his piece was say it, mm-hmm. you know, and then how at the end he tells Brianna, tell everyone. Mm-hmm. So it's very it's very it's very socially driven and how like it's just going to keep spreading and spreading mm-hmm. how at the end it was a legion mm-hmm. of candy men. So I just like I said, they leave it wide open. The lore expands ever more. And I just, they did, it was just, it was a very, like I said, it was very worthwhile. It was a very good film, but it was very satisfying. It was very satisfying. That's what it was. It was very sweet. It was very sweet. (laughs) Um, But okay, I think think we can end it there with that. Um, Last thing, if you don't know what Fangoria is, you should Google it. They have a really good um, issue on Candyman, and they talk to Nia DaCosta, and they talk to the artist that made a lot of the works for the film. Oh. It's really good. I'm going to have to check that out. We should put that in our 
Ooh, ooh, she got the book and all. I love it. I love it. In I love Pangoria. In print. Bill Noble Jr., if you're listening, hello. <laughs> okay, Um. any final curls for you? Because I don't even think we did final curls last week. We just... We just, we just it. ended it, yeah. <laughs> um, no. <laughs> I feel like I had one, but um, oh, um, I'm watching brand new cherry flavor, also on uh, Netflix. I enjoy it so far. I think I am on episode three, episode mm. three or four. I, I episode three. I'm on episode three. I like it. It's it's a uh, it. It was, it's, I don't know where we're going, but we're going somewhere. Somewhere. And I, I like the, I like the ride so far. I like it. Um, I, I really can't complain. It's, it's very, I'm, I'm, I'm invested. I really like it. Um, I do have one final curl. Sorry. I finally started reading Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. I love it. That's it. That's all I got. You told me about this comic. Um, um, thank you guys for listening um well you will uh this has been you know scary crit um thank you for always being a friend thank you for being a friend whoa i'm, whoa. I'm so glad you caught that i didn't think you were gonna get it, catch it but you caught it you got it um he gets mad because i missed one mario reference and now i'm just like culturally unaware great drag me fuck your drag <laughs> <laughs> and on that note folks we will see y'all next week later on podcast people <laughs>